0: You are listening to Pili Lohan Now, Building Sustainability, Culture of Repair Series, presented to you by Worthy Picks. Creating a sustainable lifestyle. Building sustainability is about bridging the gaps and definitions, understanding and trust when implementing sustainability, while innovating with empathy in order to have a sustainable future for our current and future generations. The Culture of Repair Series dives into the past, Listens in the present and culminates a learning future together with heart.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode of Building Sustainability Culture of Repair series. This is Pili Aloha Estal. Today, we have a very special guest. Fritzi Hortzman is the founder and executive director of Compassion Prison Project. She is a Grammy award-winning producer for her work on The Defiant Ones, has been a producer and post-producer on dozens of television projects and documentaries, and has directed several films. She believes it is urgent to bring humanity and compassion to those living behind bars and those acts will help transform society. The Compassion Prison Project began as her brainchild, stemming from her own childhood trauma shaping its conception. Over the course of several months in 2019 to 2020, Fritzi and a dedicated team of facilitators and volunteers partnered with incarcerated men at Kern Valley State Prison. Together, they created powerful tools to address and heal from childhood trauma. Since then, the Compassion Prison Project has developed several projects which support their goal of creating trauma-informed prisons throughout the U.S. and internationally. This means trauma-informed awareness for both those behind bars and those working within the prison system. Compassion Prison Project's ultimate mission is to transform prisons into healing and education centers so that the most traumatized people in our society can be supported and cared for. The current projects include Trauma Talks, The Healing Toolbox, an eight-part correctional officer trauma responsive training, six-part trauma-informed curriculum, Compassion Prison Publishing, Ace Awareness Campaign, Letter Writing Campaign, Compassion Trauma Circle, the Giving Back Project, and Adopt a Prison. That is amazing. It's just such an honor to have you, fritzy I've been following you, and welcome. Thank
0: you so much. It's so great to be here. Um, thanks for reading all that off. And I just wanted to add, we kind of re- just re-kind of shifted our mission statement. It's now creating trauma-informed prisons and communities. That's our new directive. So um, it's it's very exciting to be doing this work, and it's exciting to be here today.
1: I love that you've recorrected that. I saw a little bit on your website and maybe what would help our listeners. If you could share a little bit with us about some of your background and leading up to the compassion prison project.
0: Sure. I, um, I've been a filmmaker since I was, well, I've been in the film industry since I was about 23 and worked mostly in post-production. Um, I directed a couple of films as you've, as you've mentioned. And I, you know, the, the greatest thing I ever worked on was The Defiant Ones. Um, it's just an incredible, it's it's a, an incredible work of art. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be in the room with it where it happened was quite an honor. Um, and then, you know, most of my life, since I was a little girl, I was always wondering why people were poor. I was wondering why there were homeless people. I was wondering why there were women um, walking the streets. I would take the bus in New York specifically to drive by where the prostitutes would would be standing. And so my curiosity kind of led to more compassion and kind of a more of a, uh, more of an understanding that, you know, not everybody gets the same hand dealt when they're born. And that awareness kind of tapered off in my twenties and thirties, but then it, there was a resurgence and, since the defiant ones, I started developing material, um, finding stories about African Americans and, and marginalized communities. And then, um, I read a book called the body keeps the score. So I was, I had this, I had a radar about what was wrong. And I was actually, I actually wrote, started writing a musical called the color of justice, which, um, which is all about an African-American family in, in Watts. Of course, what do I know about that? I don't know anything about that, but I still was led to write that read, led to write that musical. I mean, it's not done, but there's some good songs in there, I think. Um, and then I read a book called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. And that book changed my life because in that book is the information that your trauma creates your behavior and it's not who you are. And once I got that information, trauma is the cause of your behavior. I was like, Oh, so my outburst, my road rage, my um, inability to deal with my son's um, crying, which I recently just learned that was my mother's inability to deal with my crying. Cause no one came to her when she was crying. No one came to me when I was crying. So the reason why the crying activates me so much, or used to activate me so much was that I was intended to. And so it triggered all those feelings that, that we're living unconsciously. So, you know, every part of this journey of this trauma journey, this trauma investigation that I'm on is, is not only helping people in prison, but it's helping my myself. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's been such a gift to become a, a trauma investigator of my own life. So after I Read the body keeps the score. Like almost a month later, I went into a maximum security prison. I volunteered. And and when I walked in, I was like, oh, these are good people. These are wonderful, sweet. I, I feel like they're boys. They felt more like like young men than they did like elder men. And I I was like, what are we doing? These this is this isn't right. They shouldn't be like, you know, threatened and felt and treated punitively. These are great people, and um, they just—they just need to peel off the layers of trauma and get on with it. And I'm like, why are we letting people get on with it? And I, I totally understand the victim needs needs to make, be made whole. That's not what I'm saying, but prison does not make a victim whole. Um, knowing that somebody's being destroyed—you know—if that happened to my family, knowing someone was being destroyed would not make me feel whole. And so while I'm not really working on that angle as much, it's still in, in my awareness. Um, so I thought, well, now I have an obligation. I can't, I can't turn away from this anymore. I have to figure out how to do something. And so I contacted the prison. I said, I want to do a a, a program. And he said, well, let's do a pilot. And so we did. And I walked into a prison January 5th, 2019 and, A year later, we directed um, step inside the circle, the video that's over 3 million people have seen. And um, now we're developing a curriculum for, called trauma talks for, um, it's a COVID curriculum, but it'll be fine after COVID because I can't get to every single prison. There are 1,943 prisons in the United States. I can't get to all of those. This video can get to all of those. And the workbook can get to all of these, all of them. And then suddenly people will become trauma aware and trauma informed, and they're not going to ha- be so hard on themselves. And when you're not so hard on yourselves, you can become a trauma investigator. And get on with your life, which I mean,
1: I'm getting on with my life now in a way i never thought I would. I feel like the parallels are probably so similar to a lot of individuals. And a lot of people probably have the same thoughts and feelings. And the best way to relate it is I remember when I started working with I was working on a big project for school social workers and the basis behind one of the main donors and just working with different universities and is really Looking at the trauma within those individuals, and when we're not addressing those individuals that are most trauma, we're not addressing the social and emotional well-being of our students in school. So the goal is obviously to look at that trauma-enforced lens and provide it within the school setting. My next question would be, when you were launching Compassion Prison Project, and, and obviously the documentaries you mentioned, Step Inside the Circle and the Honor Yard And we talked about ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences. Can you describe that journey? Because obviously we know a little bit of your background, but how did that experience go once you got into the prison? And is there a reason why you picked Kern? Uh,
0: Yeah, well, I'll start there. Uh, Kern was the prison that I volunteered at. And um, I also volunteered at Tehachapi called CCI. Okay. Um, But I had an open door. So, you know, I always walk through open doors. There's
1: no reason reason
0: to keep banging. Um, although I do bang, I've been banging on other doors, waiting for them to open. Yeah. Um, but so when I, when I got offered the ability to do a pilot at Kern Valley, I, I, um, I, I walked in there not knowing what I was doing literally. I mean, I wrote a, a bizarre curriculum and it was, I researched compassion and kindness. And I thought that, I mean, that's a good thing. It really helped me. It has helped me to this day, but now, now I know all about trauma. I know I'm deeply ensconced in the understandings of trauma and developmental trauma and PTSD and attachment theory. And um, I'm, I'm also, you know, we have a curriculum for people who wanna be facilitators. We make sure that they, they learn about nonviolent communication and read all the, the books of the people that I got to interview on my podcast, which is a whole nother thing. I mean, the day I got to interview Bessel van der Kolk, it's like I said to him, I said, you know, I work in prisons. He says, that's why I'm here. And it was such a, such a gift to be able to, you know, talk with a man who changed my life. Um, Just thinking about it makes me a little emotional. Uh, So I walked in there not knowing what I was doing but I knew trauma was the key, you know, and I told people the minute I walked in there that I was traumatized that I had eight aces. And so they got to start empathizing with me. They're they're all, I remember the guy saying, I'm so sorry, Fritzy." And, but then I don't think they really grasped that it was, it was about them. And, but I kept bringing up trauma, trauma just kept coming up. And then I had taken the ACE test a while ago and I I scored a four. I thought it was a four. I was like, I have like a four. I was like, that's not so much, but I was like, but then I, you know, I looked at each question you really got to look at the questions and it's like, no, I have it. I turned it, it turns out I have an eight. I did the domestic violence piece was it's all about the woman being beaten and abused. It was my father that was beaten and abused. So I, I switched that one. And if technically then that means I have a seven, but What we're talking about is the amount of adversity that, that a child is enduring in her, in her, his or her childhood. And so I just kept it at an eight because, you know, it created a hypervigilant toxic stress in my, in my system. Mm -hmm. And so then, um, I brought the ACE test in. I was like, let's do, you know, when I was at, when I was volunteering, uh, it was for hustle 2.0 cat Hoke did a thing called step to the line where you you know, their volunteers are on one side; the incarcerated people are on the other. You step to the line if this is true for you. If it's true that you had less than fifty books growing up as a child, step to the line. Um, if it's true for you that you were in solitary for more than seven years, step to the line. And um, so that was a great way to show the differences in in privilege. It was a it was a privilege exercise, and it was you know. I was bawling through the whole thing um, just to see what I had the, uh, the opportunities I had because I was white, because I was female, because I was um, educated because I was middle-class, all those things. I didn't have to step to the line for half of them or more than half. And so that I knew that I needed something not only not for the volunteers, but really for the guys that I was working with so that they could see their trauma And so we, you know, we started doing it, step to the line and step back. And I was like, that's not going to work. That's ridiculous. And then we started walking towards each other and all coming closer. And that symbolic, you know, coming closer was the key to this and and is the key to shedding the differences, shedding the gang, you know, distributions, the gang isolation mandates. That was, that was like. It was genius, and it really worked. And in that in that class, the guys were they went back out into their yard and they started having interracial basketball um, sessions and interracial chess sessions. And the officers were really freaked out by this because <laughs> no, and they sh- they shut it down because their safety in in the division for them perceived safety. The thing that they don't understand is there's still violence. There's violence now within their own tribes. The, the, the gangs will now take care of their own. If there, someone, you know, violates a uh, a code or a rule, they take, they'll take out their own person. And so they're really, you know, you think you join a gang for safety, but you don't, It really, isn't that safe. Um, and, you know, but I'm not here to break up gangs. I'm just here to show people that they're traumatized um, I think, you know, the thing is trauma is the thing that brings us together and trauma is no trauma. Awareness is the thing that brings us together. Trauma is the thing that separates us. Correct. Trauma is the thing that makes us feel that we're separate from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, same with the gangs, they're separating They They believe that they're separate from, from each other and that they're traumatized. So, so then we start, we start we start dealing with what we have in common instead of what we have, what separates us, which is our, our skin color, our beliefs, but what we have in common is so much more. And this, this goes for our society as well. We have so much more in common than we, than we know, you know, the fact that we have blood going through our bodies, that we're human. That's that, that overrides everything else, but you know, um, separation is a traumatic is a trauma response when we separate from other people, when we believe in separation, when we believe that my belief that um, that guns shouldn't be in school, shouldn't shouldn't be widespread, really makes someone else feel that, you know, guns should be I should have the right to a gun. And I think there's a way for everybody to get their needs met. Um, That's one of the principles of nonviolent communication. But we have to find a way that we all get our needs met. And instead of saying you're right and I'm wrong, it's like how do we make this work? Um, and that's really that's that's trauma informed. That's mm-hmm. that's a lesson of being trauma informed. Is we're all in this together. And I would say trauma informed mean, means bringing compassion to the situation because it's ask it's asking everyone to see each other. Mm-hmm. And the thing about when you're traumatized is your parents forgot to see you. They forgot to see you as a human, and um, and because you, I'm just getting this. This is a cool one. Because your parents can't see you as a human, you can't see yourself as a human. Yeah. Um, as humans, we need to we mirror each other. We're social animals. We have to reflect back to each other. And when we don't have that, like COVID or in solitary, where you know mental illnesses arise. We, we need humans to really gauge who we are. Um, and so, you know, community brings immunity. That's the thing. And the medicine is community. And that's why trauma talks our 12 week curriculum is designed that you sit in community, you watch the video, you learn about trauma, and then you sit and you talk about it it's like that's why aa is so so successful is because it it's an it's an artificial community that, that's created and but it's in that circle that healing begins it's not in isolation you're going to keep drinking you're going to keep you know doing oxycontin in circles you really get to question it and see other people struggling with the same thing and that's that's when you're reflected back people it's like oh you know, I was abused. I was sexually molested, just like, like my neighbor here, like the guy sitting across from me, he's, you know, he looks like a normal guy, but we don't, if we don't sit in those circles, we don't have those experiences. And, you know, this, you know, these tribes around, we were tribal people forever. And we were sitting at night in circles talking about the day Mm -hmm. and that's, That's what we need to do is sit in circles talking about the day. You know, I, as a traumatized person, though, I, my instincts are to isolate and to, you know, my family's out there being tribal and I'm sitting in here writing emails. And so Mm -hmm. um, my own, my own, I have to override my own traumatic instincts and, and go back to the tribe, which I did this weekend. I sat in (laughs) circle. It was, it was fantastic. So
1: I never want to like, say you're. Triumphs or your challenges, but maybe what has been some of your biggest triumphs, and then maybe some of your hardest challenges because I know people like to understand that within the scope of how they may start looking at trauma too.
0: My personal challenges with trauma are more um, learning things and but not applying them like uh, like I learned that you know I need to do somatic healing like you know i'm still i think I've had two sessions no I've had two sessions of somatic healing and the thing about trauma is you got to settle down. Mm -hmm. And when you're when your nervous system is whacked out, that's the last thing you want to do. And so to all the people that have trauma and are hypervigilant, um, jacked up on coffee and sugar and and drugs. That's the thing is, you got to start settling down. And that's it's being present, being, meditating was really hard. All those, all those quiet things that allow you to be, to feel who you are is really, is a really, it's been really difficult. And there is, I will say that when you can, when you can settle down, like I just gave up coffee. That's one of the big things I did because I realized I was drinking coffee to keep myself in a hypervigilant state. So I mean, I had, I would had basically married coffee. I was in love with coffee. I still think about coffee and I miss, I miss it so much. Um, But I know that it's not good for me. It's not good for, for my, for my spirit. And, and so, I mean, just the fact that I can honor that is, is a huge step because you know, I had doubled down on coffee. I was like, "That I am, I am in, I had two espresso makers, um, it, you know, and I had picked out the perfect coffee in the exact amount. And, you know, I'd go have three shots at, at, at Starbucks. So I was, you know, I was in, and now I'm, you know, once in a while I have a, a cup of decaf just for a little taste and a little something, but it's it's an it's evidence of healing that's what's so great is as you begin your healing journey you start seeing evidence of healing and that's there are these just little things like when your son drops something in the kitchen where at one point you used to like literally scream your scream in terror you don't you see yourself not reacting and it's just like oh my god it's just it's the evidence of of a huge triumph that's a huge triumph my son, of course, was waiting for the scream and had a huge reaction, but now he's starting to understand that I'm not going to. I'm not on edge anymore. So, um, the gifts of healing, uh, they're immeasurable because, you know, what that's doing to my son's uh, nervous system, what my healing is doing to his nervous system, is is the most important thing I can do. It's honestly, it's the most important work I'm doing on this planet. Is getting him back to stasis and, you know, just thinking of what I did to him. He was in my body as drinking all that coffee, a nervous wreck and, you know, living with me unable to comfort him when he cries and, you know, sighing and him thinking something was wrong. Um, You know, this is, you know, for all those mothers and fathers out there, you know, if you can get started, get started. And, you know, figure out what it needs, what you need to do, you know, and sacrifice, sacrifice that glass of wine, sacrifice that cup of coffee because, because your child's life is at stake. His, his or her nervous system is at stake. And that's what, that's what we're dealing with in our society. Our collective nervous system is out of whack. It's way out of whack. When I think of the guy driving into the, the the parade the other day he had just left his wife or his girlfriend It was a domestic violence thing and she had called the cops so he was he was in such a state of rage and such a state of fight or flight he couldn't see the humanity that was in front of him he couldn't see the joy and he couldn't see he couldn't see life he all he saw was pain and sorrow and death And now he's living with five murders on him. And, you know, that's a, that's a heavy burden for him to bear now. And he's going to, you know, in, in the quiet of that cell where he's going to live probably for the rest of his life, unless he, he does one of those one eighties that, that I see every day, um, he's going to live with that, that injury to his soul which we call a moral injury, which is, um, which is one of the new things I'm, I'm learning about, which I think is so important in this work is it's not just about killing somebody. It's also the injury you've done to your soul. And I think part of the work, this trauma work is, is the repair to your soul, to the injuries that you've done to your soul. And I think, I think that's, what, that's what's up for all of us in, the, in our society is um forgiving ourselves for what we've done to ourselves and what we've done to others and and making amends and i think and it doesn't matter if you're white or black red or blue you know green party or libertarian whatever 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 your flavor is you've all got this work to do and um And it's urgent. It's, you can't, you can't just say, I'll do it tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't come. You just got to double down and say, I'm doing this now. You can try take You can take your coffee. You can go into decaf, do a cup, do two, you know, you can take it, take, take it down a notch Mm -hmm. and then just stop, stop the behavior, just stop the nonsense, stop the betrayal because that's what we're doing. And that's we've given ourselves permission to it because we don't want to face it. it. It goes back to slavery. It goes back to what we've done to the native Americans. It's, it goes back to, it goes to George Floyd. It just goes to all of the, all of the harms we're committing that we don't want to face and we go numb and we have Netflix, we have Amazon, we have, um, you know, whatever, whatever obsession we have to distract us from our true nature, our truth, which is I am a magnificent being and all of this is in my way. I am not expressing who I am. And, you know, let's clear out the detrius and and get a move on here because we can, we can do some amazing things. And, you know, I always wonder I go into these communities where the, the fences are sagging and there's no paint on the wall and nobody's done anything. And it's, it's, they're just so traumatized. They can't, they don't even know how to get out of bed. And I mean, that's the thing is like, we also need people to who aren't traumatized or people who, who are healing to help lift the other people out who can't get out of bed. And you see that in prison all the time. Um, You call them lazy. You call them, you call them manipulative, you call them, uh, whatever you call them, you put your trauma lenses on and you realize they're just, they're frozen. They don't know what to do. And, you know, that's what we, that's, what's happening. We're either frozen or we're jacked up on whatever it is so we can fight or flight at a given moment. So it's, you know, it's time, you know, it's my request is that we Just take a look at all the things we're doing to ourselves and to each other and, and slow it down, slow it down so we can get busy.
1: I admire your work and just how you're able to put it into like real life experiences. So as you're telling me and then our listeners and then people apply it, it really changes your lens. I mean, of how it applies. Yeah.
0: Well, I want to just talk about generational trauma for a second, because I think that's something to understand. It's not just that he's in my belly. The egg that I was was in my mother's belly. The egg that my mother was was uh, so we're going into generations. If there's abuse in that family, that egg is being abused. That all the that energetic information is going into that egg or that sperm. So it is in the body. The trauma is in the body when it comes out. On top of that, we're talking. So I mean, if if you look at slaves, all that trauma that they're all that dehumanizing uh, whipping and emotional abuse, telling them they're nothing. All of that gets transferred to the child and all that information. It's, it's like a code. It's like coded into the, into
1: the body, into the nervous system.
0: Yes. And so you come out, you're not, I don't think you're just fresh, brand new. I came in with my mother, I'm part Cherokee. I have that trauma. I'm, I'm part Lutheran, Lutheran, um, German. So I have all that repressed anger and quiet abuse that I have in my body. I have English and Irish. So I'm a trauma mess. I came in from a trauma mess. My parents both died young, which is evidence of having six or more aces. You know, I have eight aces. So I'm, you know, I don't even know what they had. I have, I just wish, I wish that I knew about this before they died so I could, I could really find out what happened to them. But it wasn't easy for them or they wouldn't, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have both smoked like chimneys and, you know, it's every breath they take, it's a relief. Smoking gives them a relief. So they were getting relief every time they smoked. No wonder my father smoked when they banned smoking in, in planes. He wanted, he wanted there to be a plane that allowed smoking. I mean, flying for my father was traumatic because he couldn't smoke. So we're talking about trauma that's deep. And if you're, if you were, you were traumatized, your mother, you know, your mother was traumatized and it, it goes back, it goes way back. It goes back into, you know, we're talking medieval times. We're talking Mm. Roman, you know, you hear about what Caligula did to, to the people, you know, these acts of, of superiority of authority, of power. Um, And it's addictive. You know, that's the other thing is, You know, reenactment of the trauma is one of, one of the symptoms of trauma people reenact, you know, that's why we have a lot of sexual predators because they were preyed upon first. So they're just reenacting things same with violence. You know, I would reenact the stuff my mother would do to me.
1: We are actually born with that internally. And it, over time, has built up, which is crazy, too, if you think about it like that. And I, it makes sense. Like, I can really see that and be like, oh, wow, no, that actually we are born with that trauma. When you really take that vision, how you kind of look at it, it makes so much sense. When you heal your trauma,
0: you heal seven generations that came before you and seven generations ahead. And I can see why that's true is because I know I'm healing my trauma and I'm seeing the results in my son. He's not as whacked out as he was and, and it's, it's going to get better and better and better. And I know, I know his seed, his sperm, which is weird to hear, even think about, but it's not going to be as jangly and alert and anxiety prone as my, my body is. So I'm already, I know I'm already healing my, my generations, my legacy, my my contribution to the world. I know I'm bringing that forward and I'm healing my father and my mother and I'm healing their father and mothers. And I know that, I don't know why I know that, but that seems right somehow. Somehow it's no longer part of me. Their trauma is no longer part of me. And I don't know why that's true. I should figure that out, but I'm going to figure that out. But I love that, you know, it's seven generations ahead and seven generations before. And now, and in this world, now I can heal, help heal other people throughout the world, which, you know, it's the biggest gift
1: I can imagine. I I never thought I'd be into social work, but here I am. Once people realize you can heal and the impact you have, if you think, oh my gosh, if I can heal my own internal trauma, then I can impact those and then take that and help others to heal their trauma. I mean, it's, it's a it's a domino. It's even beyond a domino effect. It's like a, I mean, it's a wave. You heal one person in prison, right?
0: Not only does that affect the people in his immediate surroundings, it it affects his family. It affects the community, that community who knows, you know, wherever they're working, it affects that because when nervous systems calm down, that's infectious. It's, we're, we mirror each other. We are, we, we want to be in the same, it's, it's um, part of how we function. We want to be in the same frequency as frequency as the person that we're near or we're with. And so if that frequency is a frequency of safety and compassion and calm, it's going to, it's going to reverberate out and people are going to un, un, even unwittingly Gravitate to that person and start changing. So it's an it's like a an electronic signal we're sending out, and um, but it's same with violence. It's it's you can go violence or you can go you know creativity. You can go call, you know healed. So you know violence is is just as magnetic, but but one one accomplishes great things and the other one destroys things. So, and I I ask anyone, wh- what do you prefer? What do you prefer? Do you prefer the violence? If you do, then let's look at your brain. Because if you're going for the if you're going full bore on the on the violence, that means you're addicted to violence. That means there's something, something in the wiring is not is not working. And it maybe you have traumatic brain injury, and maybe you're just in a state of fight or flight, toxic stress that you have that you have not been able to stop, which is basically what prison is, you know, it, that it is a constant state of fight or flight. And that's yeah. tough times
1: we're in the Culture of Repair series. It, it came to me from Rariji Man from Australia and just working with him. And it that's kind of how this series came about. And just understanding Aboriginal groups in Australia were, were kind of the, they consider the oldest collective society with laws of Indigenous groups in the world. And, and, and understanding that, I mean, it's so powerful. And their work is way farther advanced than ours as far as their reconciliation. They took a lot of your healing concepts and applied it within their communities and I think we're just now starting because we have a melting pot in the United States I think we're just now starting to understand what does that look like applying it to all aspects of society which is why I love you saying now it's prisons and community because I think that's where you take it that next step can you describe in your words uh because we are in the cultural repair series what that would mean to you or the compassion prison project and then you you have kind of your, your core values, which is change. I like to mention it. It's a compassion, humanity, accountability, nonviolence, generosity, and equity. And that's part of your core values of Compassion Prison Project. And maybe just what culture of repair means to you. You don't have to get too deep or you can't. If you hear that word, what does it mean?
0: Well, for me, um, in prisons, a harm has been committed. And if you talk about restorative justice, is the, the question is, is how can we repair the, the harm that's committed? So to me, um, learning about trauma, learning that you deserve a seat at the table, no matter if you've committed a, a crime or you haven't, that you deserve to be in this community, this global community, this human community, your obligation to that to being in that community, your obligation to being back in the community is to find a way to make a repair. And the thing that we do at Compassion Prison Project, the thing that we're highlighting, we try to highlight and try to um, show examples of as much as possible is the Giving Back Project. And the Giving Back Project is the person in prison knows that they've done something bad. They know they've hurt somebody. They may have murdered someone. They have caused irreparable damage, irreparable trauma or trauma. That's probably reparable. but you know, pretty, pretty serious stuff that I'm dealing with. They can't bring that person back. They can't take the trauma out of that person's body. There's nothing they can do. What they've done is, is done. And, but there are options to repair that harm. And even if it's, writing a letter to the victim, even if it's writing a letter to society, if it's, um, so here are some examples. One group of guys raised $30,000 to send a kid to school, to send this kid uh, to his sophomore year in high school. Now that kid has graduated. Um, So he graduated college. So if you think about what those guys did They repaired their harm. They put a kid, they put themselves through college basically is what they did by, by doing that. I'm working with the guys that um, Jason Bryan is one of the guys who fundraised for that kid. Um, They are now out of prison and they have started an organization called crop CROP. And they are, they are unbelievable, unbelievable men and that's the thing that's what exists in prison unbelievable men and women that they given the chance or given some compassion and an and an outlet to prove themselves anything is possible another example is this guy jesse he's at valley state prison and he spends i would say eight to 10 hours a day making necklaces and to raise money for various charities one of them one of the one of the fundraisings he did is a an officer died of COVID, and he raised money for the officer's family. Now this is this is someone who would normally you'd think is in opposition to this other person, um, but there there in is a bridge that was built. We, he built a bridge to the other side of the bars. He built a bridge to his community. Um, And he's continuing to build bridges. He's still in prison, but I don't think it's going to be there for very long because, like, he's building bridges all over the place. Um, He's doing a fundraiser. I think they made like 100 necklaces. He's got a little team over there. Um, And they're raising money for this for these Native American youths. that's what culture of repair is to me, is being where you are in this present moment and acting from there, not not being able to do anything in the past because it's not available anymore, but finding a way, finding a way, and if even a small way is enough.
1: It's hard. I know when people are listening, if they're like, I've never worked with inside jails or I've never talked to people and I can't even fathom having compassion for them. But if you start to, I think that's where the healing can begin. Well,
0: I think if you really want to know, it starts with having compassion for yourself because um right. we've all done we've all done something horrible. I don't care who it is. Yep. We've all right. done something horrible. We may not have killed somebody. We may not have raped somebody. Um but I've said I've been a bully. I've done I've done horrible things throughout my life. I've stole, you know, I've just done bad things and I've said very bad things, which is just as bad as killing somebody. Correct. I mean, it's so compassion for yourself first, and then, then, get, then figure out the rest. But once you get compassion for yourself, it's a different game. And it's probably the hardest thing you can do is, is have compassion for yourself. That also means like listening to your thoughts, listening to your um, negative self-talk. They, what is it they say? They say, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself because if you listen to yourself, you, you know, you're just going to, you're just going to end up opening a bottle of wine. Um, but talk to yourself, tell yourself how great you are, because you are, you are great. You are beautiful. You're, you're a child of God or the universe or whatever, however, whatever you believe in, but you're, you're a miracle. All of this is a miracle. And, you know, we think it's all about paying taxes and nine to five and whatever else, but that's just a distraction. The truth is, this is a miracle that we're living. And It's time for us to find it again and live it again.
1: I think that says it all. Again, I admire so much of your work. And I think what would be best for our listeners, because we did go a little bit above time, but I have a feeling it's easy to do that when talking to you, (laughs) Um, is how best can individuals listening support your efforts, uh, learn more, get involved? What does that look like in and individuals wanting to, to reach out. I mean, I I think about it and there's so many varying degrees of how individuals can get involved because you have a lot of projects. What does that look like?
0: Just go to our website at compassionprisonproject.org. There's a donate button if you are inspired and want to help pay for some of our workbooks that we're, we're bringing to prisons of trauma talks. There's also um, a volunteer tab where you can find out how to volunteer and there's, some options there for you to choose what you're interested in. Um, We have weekly meetings on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific time. If you, if you do the volunteer thing, you'll get invited to that. And um, you know, just there's a letter writing to, we're writing to everyone. The idea is we we'd like to write letters to everyone on death row because we start there because they're, they're the most um, marginalized. They're the most reviled they're the most. Um, con- they're. They're. We call them condemned. I mean, how do we condemn anybody? Why would we condemn anyone? Condemn them to death? You know, that's the violence of our own of our own society. That's the violence of our governments, and so we need to really actively restore that. They are worthy. They are. They mean something to us. Dozens of volunteers wrote to a man named Willie Smith. He was executed in Alabama in November. And, um, he was just so grateful to know that he, he captured our imagination, that he was part of our lives and that we loved him. And he let, he died knowing that he was loved. And I think that's really the truth. We are loved. We are lovable. And to hold that back from any human being is, is the original sin.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Well, I just, As I said, thank you for your time. If anybody has questions, they know to go to your website. And it was really such an honor to have you today. I learned so much. So thank you, Fritzy. Thank
0: you so much for your time. And, you know, let's get busy.